hope you're doing great. I did like two voices there. I did like a, hey, everybody, how's it going? Hey, I hope you're doing great. Like I'm two different people. Uh, man, I listen to that drum beat every time I do this, and I'm like, that's a cool drum beat, but and I could have done this to it, I could do that to it, and whatever, whatever, whatever. But really, when you're creating something like that, there's really no ending, no end point to it, I should say. That's the act of creating. You're always like, oh, I want to tweak this, and I want to tweak that, and I want to do this and do this. But, you know, you just got to, like, sometimes just let it go. You made this butterfly, now just let it fly. And I'll change it one day. This is episode 14 with my friend Brian. Well, I say my friend Brian. So I met Brian through Common Friend. Again, shout out to Dave. Uh, Dave and Brian were friends. They worked together for a while. And then Dave suggested to me, hey, dude, you should do uh, a podcast with my friend Brian. He's about to hike the entirety of the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, that's dope. So, yeah, we started messaging each other like uh, maybe yesterday, and then that was it. So, we hooked up. Today, we did it over the internet, and um, as he'll say, he's in North Georgia right now, um, getting ready to leave on Wednesday to hike uh, the trail, and then he's going to talk about everything there. So, I am not going to spoil anything there. A uh, couple things I just want to say. Um, so we have, if you're listening to this, you already know that you're listening to it on whatever thing you're using. But we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere, everywhere that you think you can listen, we're there. We also recorded video. I'm going to have that up in a couple of days uh, on YouTube. I will link to that. Uh, a couple of other places that you can uh, like follow, whatever. So I have an email list. It's a newsletter. It's on Substack. If you literally went into Google and just typed in the Canon Dispatch Substack, you will find it, and you can subscribe to it there. Uh, there, I just kind of put out uh, just announcements or some things. I don't know. Some mediums are good for writing when I think of things or whatever. Some things are good for that or um, – come out with lists or just uh, a lot of different things so uh that's substack and then there's a instagram at canon dispatch and then the same thing on youtube um i've been doing a lot of thinking a lot of self-reflection lately on just a lot of different things everybody knows there's a lot of crazy stuff going on uh i came across this poem again well actually i was talking to my dad and he reminded me of this poem, and I think I want to read it, and uh, I don't know, it really kind of spoke to me, so I think it kind of fits here. Uh, it's called There's a Hole in My Sidewalk by Portia Nelson. Uh, chapter one, I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it, and I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. 
It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, with Brian. I, I had a, I told him afterwards, as we talked, uh, we talked a little bit before and then we talked a little bit afterwards, but I told him that uh, he's just one of those guys where I felt like I've known him for forever. Um, it just works out sometimes like that. So um, I'm going to be doing some follow-on episodes, hopefully one in the middle of his trip and then uh, definitely one at the end of his trip. So um, we talk about how people can sort of like, you know, where they can follow him uh, within the episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening. Without further ado, here's the episode. Brian, how's it going, dude? Good, man. How are you? Good, man. Everything's, everything's copacetic. We're good. Cool. So you're, we're talking because you're about to, to start on the Appalachian Trail, right? Yep, day after tomorrow. All right, so sort of describe like where it starts and all that stuff. Okay, so um, <laughs> it starts uh, in northern Georgia like in the Chattahoochee's, um, on top of Springer Mountain. Um, and you're only in, in Georgia for a short amount of time. But then ultimately it goes through 14 states, and then it ends kind of in central Maine on the top of Mount Katahdin, uh, which is kind of in the middle of Baxter State Park, a pretty vast um, like state park wilderness in Maine. Okay. Is there is – is there again not having done anything like this extensive ever? Is there like um like true like um arrow or something where it's like are you using a GPS? Uh yeah, so um you know everyone has uses a different variation um of a GPS. You know people have been completing this walk since like the 1930s or something. And they did it with nothing but maps, but of course, technology evolves, and um, there's various ways to skin that cat, I guess. Um, there's a real popular app called Far Out Guides, and it's essentially Google Maps. You, you pay for it by the trail, um, and you know it shows your GPS location. You can use it when your phone is completely in airplane mode, which is one of the reasons why it's really popular. You have all your maps and stuff downloaded uh, beforehand. It's it's really user friendly. Um, anybody that can use Google Maps can use it, and it has all kinds of pertinent information um, for each kind of stop along the way. There's like phone numbers for hostels and and uh, just just endless um, information so from shuttle rides to where reliable water sources are. It's all kinds of stuff. And then the other thing that people have been using for years is a, a guy called. Um, well, it was initially called the AWOL Guide, um, written by a guy named Dave AWOL Miller. Um, and it initially, I think, came out as like a paper guide that people brought with them. But now it's a, a, like a fairly interactive PDF that you can track your distance with. And it has tons of pertinent information, too, um, including like elevation kind of overlaid. There's a lot of kind of have to learn the language the way it's laid out. It's a little bit less user friendly. Um, and then. You know, some people just take your regular from Dick's, like a Garmin, 
GPS device. Um, I, I'm just using my phone. I'm just using the, uh, I might say gut hooks on accident because it used to be called gut hooks, but the, the far out guides app in a combination with the AWOL PDF guide on my phone is what I'll be using. Um, okay. And then you asked about trail marking. So the Appalachian Trail is marked with like white blazes. So these white rectangles that are, you know, just a four, like four inches long. And they're on trees and various markings along the road. And then side trails have blue markings. Um, and, and they're pretty, pretty reasonably easy to follow as long as it's not snowing, I guess. Sure. So you're not using like a, like a sextant or anything. You're not doing like celestial <laughs> navigate. Well, you probably no. don't even plan on walking at night. I would imagine. I don't know how that works. Some people do. Um, it, it just depends on the season. If it's, if it's miserably humid and hot during the day, some people may opt to hike at night when it's, you know, cooler or, uh, you know, sometimes the shelters or the camping areas get crowded. So it'll force people to kind of change their, their hike. And, you know, what you plan to do and what you end up doing usually end up being vastly two different things on the, on the, the two wider known long distance trails out West, the PCT and the CDT, um, people typically hike at night, especially in the desert, because it gets so hot during the day that it's hiking becomes, you know, you're going to get dehydrated so fast. So they, they do a lot of night hiking out west. Um, and you're doing this, are you doing it alone? Um, yeah, that's another kind of funny question to answer. I, I'm going by myself, but um, the popularity of this has grown so much that you have to actually try to be alone, especially in the beginning. I think there's already like 53 people that are registered to leave the same day that I leave alone. So if we all planned on staying in the same shelter that night, that's not going to happen. There's 53 of us or something. So um, on the on the Appalachian Trail, <clears throat> at least, it can get crowded um, until you know you get maybe a couple hundred miles in and people start dropping off. Right, um, and I guess what made you decide to do it i guess yeah that's that's like the million dollar question i guess um I, I have a few reasons i was i was like about two years post navy i'd say post retiring from the navy i was working as a contractor at the time um and i just i just kind of like had this epiphany that everything seemed backwards like to work 40 60 hours a week sometimes just to like maintain all your stuff and pay those recurring bills on all that stuff that that stopped making sense to me um you know i owned a house i had a boat i i had a bunch of stuff and i didn't have a lot of time to use it you know um so it just it it seemed backwards so i quit that job and uh, i sold all my stuff and uh as far as the AT goes, like that epiphany that I didn't want to work to maintain stuff anymore facilitated me to be able to do the AT because, you know, I've, I've kicked, the, kicked around the idea for like 20 years. I've thought about it. Um, and, you know, being in the active duty military, you can't just take six months off. So being able to sell my house when I did and, and quit my job kind of, it was just the right time. So I just decided last August, um, this is going to be the year, 2022. Hmm. The uh, so it takes six months. 
Uh, That's the estimate? It, yeah, it's five to six months. There are young people that go for, or not necessarily young people, but there are there are people that, you know, super athletes, ultra runners that attempt FKTs, fastest known times, and they're doing it in like uh, just a ridiculous amount of time, 120-some days, I think, is the quickest. But yeah, on average, it takes five to six months. I'm hoping to be closer to the five side, but there's things that are just out of your control. So Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where I think that you see it in the military too, where you plan like you should, because if you don't plan, then that's a bad plan. But then when you make a plan, you have to be open to all these you know, you have you. Well, I was just talking with a friend of mine yesterday. You know what you know. Uh, you know what you don't know. You especially don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, and so I think being especially for something like that, because weather, and I mean, who know who knows? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, you know, one of the one of the big parts of like the mental portion of being able to tackle this and, and hopefully finish it is to not have expectations. I think expectations derail a lot of people. They, you know, watch a heavily edited YouTube video and everything looks like sunshine and daisies. Everything's polished. Yeah. And then they get out there in the first three days, it's 40 degrees and it, and it rains the whole time and everything's soaked and you're cold and you're sick of carrying a, pack that's way too heavy um you you expected one thing and you were disappointed and you know those expectations kind of like blow your whole game at that point so you know trying not to have any expectations like for me going out and just experiencing whatever happens one day at a time like i, I feel like i'm really really lucky and fortunate to do that so i i don't have any expectations i i try not to make up my mind about what i think anything's going to be like so i can just really experience it day to day what did the so you just you kind of mentioned the the mental aspect um so there was the three things i wanted to ask you uh as far as when it comes to preparation so uh and it, it's going to be how do you prepare for this physically so physiologically and then mentally and then with materials too so let's start with physical preparation okay um so the the people that that attempt through hikes are, are you know they come to the trail with all different physical capabilities there's you know some people have the nickname of couch to katahdin or whatever where they have literally never hiked a day in their life they're not in shape they are sedentary individuals and a lot of those people have success um for some reason um and you know then there's really super great athletes um that, that go out and do it that are that are super prepared I'm kind of somewhere in the middle because I had a um, I had a very physical job so I was already in pretty shape I'm, I'm a pretty thin guy um, and then you know just to my real my only real physical preparation I guess is I did hike a portion of the AT in Massachusetts I hiked the highest peak mountain Greylock that was a overnight I did that in December um, and it was really cold and I did it to test like gear that I bought because um, I, I could probably get into this later, but one of my one of my big fears is being cold and wet. So I just wanted to make sure that you know the stuff that I had was going to get me through a cold night. 
well, it was um, in the high teens and my water bottles were just like freezing solid. Um, it, and it was really cool, but my gear was fine. I made it, went up to the summit the next day. And that was like a huge confidence boost for me that I was out there in the snow, like driving snow, miserable conditions by myself. But all the gear that I had did exactly what it was supposed to do. And I was, I was warm and, and everything worked great. Um, I did a couple other summits in New Hampshire, uh, another one in Massachusetts, Mount Wachusett. And then after I left Massachusetts, I came down here to Florida uh, and I did about 25 miles of the Florida Trail, which does not translate to the App Appalachian Trail at all. It's flat um, and you're exposed the whole time out in the sun. That was rough. Um, but again, that was just kind of a, another, let me see how, you know, let's go test my gear, get, get more proficient at setting my stuff up, breaking it down, using my cooking system, all that stuff. So it, that was, that's about the extent of my physical preparation. I, I'm not in the gym every day. I'm not like running 13 miles or anything like that. You're not doing any of that. Yeah. I, I had a friend that was uh, in the army. I remember he used to tell, he used to, and he was infantry. He did a couple of tours in Afghanistan. And he said, I remember he was like, man, we were like running 14 miles a day and we were just wearing our PT gear. He was like, but when I was in Afghanistan, we were humping up mountains with like a, I don't even know how much it weighs, but like a gun that weighs a couple hundred pounds with ammunition. And he was like, the whole time we should have just been rucking and jogging with, or with uh, a good amount of weight to sort of like mimic what they were going to do. So I was thinking maybe something similar, but you mentioned, you know, doing all that. I stuff, mean, right? I did some of that and that does, you know, knowing if, you know, if you're physically capable of it is important. Um, I did a, the first peak I did was no pack. And I, I thought to myself, man, this is easy. I feel like I'm 20 years old. I can spring right up this thing. No problem. Right, right. Well, the second peak I did was the 3,500 footer was with a fully loaded pack. And that was a completely different, completely different animal. You know, fully loaded being what was, the um, my full weight, my full pack weight right now with three days food and water is about 27 pounds. Oh, wow. So 27. So uh, I want to, I want to get it. I want to go back to, to, to the, to the food and, and like the material. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go okay. back to that one. Um, okay. That was physically, well then, you know, screw it. Let's just go. Yeah. Let's go into material. Okay. Then. Um, so, yeah, materially, I don't know who said it <clears throat> recently. Uh, I think I heard it on a podcast, but essentially, like, the weight of the stuff you have um, on a graph is inversely proportional to the price it costs. So, the, you know, the lighter the stuff is, the more expensive it's going to be. The more expensive the fabrics are going to be, the more expensive everything's going to be. So, you know, you can end up with a wide wide range of stuff you know there's and it's broken down into all these geeky categories and i don't know how in-depth you want me to get into it but there's like what's considered ultralight there's guys you know that are out there just flying they got like 12 pound packs and they're just cruising and it's it's all the most expensive stuff and they're very minimalist you know backpackers you just don't take stuff with you you try not to you try not to take a bunch of junk with you that you're not going to use and if you do have something with you on the trail um after a few days or weeks and you haven't touched it send it home but um but anyway 
you know, we're all weight conscious and conscious and it runs the gamut. So, you know, you could devote hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and researching stuff on the internet. You know, what is this pot way versus what, you know, what is this 850 fill sleeping bag way versus this one? You're like, you can get so far in the weeds and people drive themselves crazy over their gear decisions. They just really want to make sure they have the right stuff. I did kind of what you're not supposed to do. I went into REI and told, you know, some kid came up to me and said, you need help? I said, yeah, I'm hiking the AT. I need all my junk. And he was like, all right, let's start with your pack. So he, you know, luckily this guy was a backpacker. So he had experience. And as it turns out, um, all the gear that I started with, I haven't replaced it. Like all the stuff that I have that I bought initially, that's what I'm going with after testing it. So it worked out. But yeah, I told this kid, like, I, I need everything. So we just went item by item. And, you know, I pretty much got everything I needed with exception of the clothing that, I, that I'm going to wear. Like all in one shot, REI, almost no research. I mean, I did research on the internet. I had been watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts for months before I ever bought a thing at REI. So, I, you know, I did like kind of some passive research. I had an idea of what I wanted. But yeah, a lot of it was just uh, old Greg up in REI in Framingham helping me out. Like, get this sleeping bag, not that one. So, mm. what is the so the food the food deal? So I would say this: even when when we first started talking about it, and when I hear about people doing this, I always thought um, I was I just imagine you going on this trail, and you know meeting other people because they're doing the same thing. But I just imagine you're just on the trail, and then when you're done walking for the day, you're camping, and then you keep. You got it. Is that so far, yeah, you got it. Is? That's it. You got it so far. That's it. Is that it? Simple as that. So it, you're just so I I didn't know because there were other walks and and things I've heard of like so in Spain there's the I think it's il, it's either El Camino de San Juan or El Camino de Santiago. It's one yeah, of those two in, things where one's it, in Peru, so, right? One's in South America, and one I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah, there's one in South America, and then the one I'm talking about mm -hmm. is in Spain, and it's more of like a. It was like some sort of like, I think somebody did it in the past. It was like some sort of religious pilgrimage or rite mm -hmm. of passage or something, but it's become popular. But I know that at least on that route. They're like these little towns and these little B&Bs that have been set up over all these years, especially in Spain, right? Like they were talking about it's old that they're designed, they're designed for that. You know, that's what they're, that's what they're, so I didn't know if this was a similar, like, it, uh, if, is there going to be a way, maybe some point you can like stop, go get a coffee, oh, yeah. waffle house. Uh, for and, sure. I don't know. So the, you know? yeah, well, I, uh, the very little that I know of the European trails they are set up so that you don't even have to bring a tent. You're staying in a hostel or a and b or something every single night, which is awesome. Like, I couldn't even imagine being so lucky that I, you know, to not have to carry a sleeping bag in a tent. That would be amazing. But um, as far as the Appalachian Trail goes, you're, you're never, the longest you are ever between towns is five days. So you can resupply your food every five days. Um, okay. and, and you do like, you just, you get it wherever you can get it. Like, you know, each town varies. Sometimes you're stuck at Walmart. Sometimes you're stuck at Ingalls, whatever the supermarket is in that town or area. You know, sometimes you're stuck at dollar general. 
but some of the towns are outfitters with back, you know, backpacker meals and all kinds of, you know, you got to replace your gear when it wears out. So some towns really, really cater to the hikers and some are just like towns where you just got to make do with what you got. Do you, so this kind of goes with this, but also with the physical, the, the physical preparation. Do you like right now, since you're in the prep cycle, cause, cause you're leaving on Wednesday, right? Right. right. You said that's the, what day is that? The yeah. 23rd, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So like for right now, for your prep cycle, are you, did you, I don't know, eat a lot more food than you normally do for now? Yeah. It's funny you say that. Uh, I think my body knows cause I don't, I typically don't eat a ton. Um, and that's a, like a post Navy thing for whatever reason, my, my body just changed, but I don't really eat a lot. The last few days I've just been like insatiably hungry, just starving around the clock. So I think my body can just tell like, Hey, this, this guy's about to do something like, so I'm just super hungry going in a waffle house, just crushing eggs, and, but not, not intentionally. Not just, yeah, you like, well, like we know, like a lot of times that intuition, sometimes things just come out like that. Yeah. And then as far as the food you pack, I imagine it does have to be nutrient, di- like dense. I, I'm, it can't be just bullshit sugar. and It has to be stuff your body can use, right? Right. And so, again, this was something that I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to until – I saw a YouTube video of a guy that did all this, you know, really super in-depth research about food. And basically the research that he found out was that the food that people carry, that the food that backpackers carry is typically very, very heavy because they're carrying proteins and carbs and all this stuff. And from firsthand information, when I was hiking that Florida trail about halfway through at a campground, I left about six bags of, uh, Idaho and potatoes in a laundry room because they're just, it's just so heavy. Like, um, so, you know, he talks a lot about eating fats because fat is the perfect, you know, it's, it's the most calorie dense per gram food that you can eat. Um, and you know, as this does at some point become an endurance sport, you know, when, when you're, there comes a time during your hike that you can't just be going slow and hiking five miles a day. So, you are trying to push it eventually. You are trying to do 25s and 30s. So, you know, endurance athletes always want to think protein, 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 I need, I need protein. But that's when when you're burning 4,000 a day, it doesn't really matter at that point what the calories are. And I'm way oversimplifying this and I'm not even qualified to talk about nutrition. But I'm talking about from a weight standpoint, fats are typically what backpackers go for. Um, and there's a wide variety of different foods that people carry um from reasonably expensive dehydrated backpacker meals all the way to ramen ramen is a super you know fan favorite among backpackers i think one of the adages i heard lately though is just pack what you'll eat you know whatever it is that you'll eat that you like your taste will change pack it um so so i'm kind of going blind on that in the beginning um i know typically people pack way too much food um because you know, it's human nature to worry about running out. The typical problem um, among backpackers is just, you know, you don't, when you get to the next town to resupply, ideally you're out of food or close to it, you know. A- anything extra, that's just weight you're carrying, all, it, all those steps for no reason. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Like, cause it's all about energy conservation, as you're saying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah, everything is like, I have this because it's going to be used, and 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 then same thing for your body. You know what I mean? Right. It's a it's it's a fuel source. Right. Um, I mean, is there? I don't even know if this is a thing, but is there people that when they do it, they're like fishing? I imagine no hunting, but uh, I mean, I, I've heard of people taking small collapsible fishing poles but literally when when you're trying to dial in your pack weight and you're trying to get it down and figure out what you can live without like people are doing stuff as ridiculous as cutting the handle off their toothbrush which i did because i just couldn't you know i just can't see the sense in carrying an extra you know that much plastic with me and that wow but if you're doing that and you're taking a fishing pole with you then your priorities are probably a little messed up and you know it, you're not out there to fish you know that you you should yeah, I was going to say that was a stupid question. I feel it, like it's cause... not. It's not a stupid question. People do it. And there are people that ask, like, hey, can I not bring food and forage for my food? And, like, I just, when are you going to have time to? It would just take too much time. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to complete this thing. I don't have time to look for truffles. And you're, you know you're what you're I mean? Gonna like, be, I gotta... Yeah, you're going to be so calorie deficient. Two weeks in, you're you're going to be off the trail. Yeah. I, I maybe maybe I wonder what the stats are on people who think like that and they're like the same ones who ended up just saying like All right, I'm done, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, you know your your caloric intake is very important and your your plan for it. Um, that the, it's one of the many things that does force people off the trail because they're just they're not eat, eating enough. Wow. So the third part of that of that question, the mental the mental aspect. Right. Mm-hmm. So like mental preparation, but also uh, it kind of goes into another question, too. Uh, I said before, but like, so, yeah, men- mental preparation or just your sort of modus operandi in it. Right. Like what pushing you all like everything mental there. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's that is the that's really the the lion's share of, uh, in my opinion, what there is to talk about. Like most long range hikers or through hikers, especially new ones get really caught up in gear and they get really geeky about, you know, I have a synthetic tent and I have a down tent and I have a this and that, and I have a freestanding versus a whatever, you know? Um, But at the end of the day, uh, walking five million steps, like it, it doesn't matter. There were people, like I said, that did this before with huge external frame, seventy pound backpacks, you know, big boots. Uh, like anyone who hikes now is lucky to have all this light, light stuff. Um, so it's really not about gear. It's about do you have it in you to make it such a long way when you have to wake up every day. Um, when there's really no end in sight, you know, there's no reward. When you, you walk your first 10 mile day, that's just one of 180 more that are coming, you know, and and that's a tough thing for people to wrap their minds around. Um, I, it's, I say it's huge for me. It's going to be huge for me. It's huge for everybody, the whole mental game, but you know, there's, there are really great books that are written specifically about, um, the mental, game or the the mental toughness that it takes to to make it through something like this and to succeed um one of them and i'll plug it because um like he says throughout the book it's 
it, it can apply to anyone. It's it's written in the frame of reference as an Appalachian Trail through hike, but you could apply it to any big thing that you wanted to accomplish. It's it's just about controlling your mind, um, and and just not letting your you know like your lower mind that that part of your brain that just wants to be comfortable and warm like don't let that take over. You know you can't you can't let that like reptile brain drive all of your emotions. Um, and, and, you know, he, um, the, sorry, the name of the book, it's written by a, um, a retired, uh, force recon Marine named, um, Trey free. And the name of the book is called pushing North. And it's just all about, um, meditation and breathing and just your inner conversation and just how you view the world that drives, um, a lot of what we do and how we perform doing it. Um, so, you know, for me, one of the things that I've been preparing, and I guess you could put this under the physical category too, but like I said, I don't, I don't like to be cold. I don't like to be wet. I don't, you know, it's always been a joke. Like if it's raining out, I've run from the car to the grocery store, or the car to my house. I don't like getting wet. Well, you know, when you're hiking the AT, you're wet the majority of the time. It's just a fact of life. Uh, you're cold for a good chunk of the time. It's just a fact of life. So I had to... I had to completely rewire my brain. I spent the winter in Massachusetts visiting family and um, I would put on, you know, the minimal amount of clothing I could, like this fleece, this which is going with me. And I would go stand outside for as long as I could tolerate it in like nine degrees or one degree. And um, I, I feel like, I mean, this might sound crazy to a lot of people, but I feel like I have successfully tricked my mind now. Because when you're hot, if you're outside and it's 90 degrees on the beach and you're hot, most people don't ex, uh, don't associate that with extreme discomfort. But we do associate being cold with discomfort. It, they're the same thing. Whether you're hot or cold, the associating with discomfort is just a conversation that you're having in your own brain. And you can change that. Right. You can change that conversation. You can experience being cold without linking it to. Um, to misery or discomfort or displeasure. You just feel cold. You're experiencing what it feels like to be cold. Now there's a difference between hypothermia and dangerous cold, obviously, but I'm talking about just like the unpleasantness of, of being wet and cold that drives a lot of people to say, what am I doing? And catching the first greyhound home, you know? So I, I had, that's a mental fight that I'm just going to have the whole time. And, you know, I have not spent a sustained, you know, seven, eight, ten days in a wet sleeping bag. I haven't, and that might be required at some point. So, uh, it's it, you just have to tell yourself that hot shower's coming, that warm day is coming. You know, there's all there's all these different techniques and exercises to trick your brain. We all uh, hikers always say, "Don't quit on a bad day." So, like, if it's raining and cold and shitty, and your sleeping bag is soaked, don't quit on that day. Just wait till it's sunny and beautiful. Quit when you're in a good mood. Like, and that helps a lot of people to just, you know, get one more day further north. Wow, I think that's a, I think that's super wise. And there was another, uh, you, you were saying there, and it, it, it prompted another question for me. Um, man, it was about, mm, I don't know what, I don't know what it was. It, it, it just like, left me um is there a 
So is there, are you doing a thing where, uh, I don't even know how it works. You, you mentioned that there's 50, <coughs> excuse me, 52 people registered to start on, on the same day. Mm-hmm. Is there like, uh, are you required or, or do you have your own way of like tracking that way people can, you know. Yeah, I mean? so you can, you can, um, you can go on the ATC website, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy website and they track all this stuff and that's where you register and they ask that you do register there are a lot of people that through hike the trail that don't register because it's not mandatory you don't have to do it i don't know why you wouldn't you get a cool little free tag with a number on it that goes on your backpack and but um i don't yeah there's people that don't register they it's going to become an issue down the road because the popularity of the outdoor lifestyle now with you know post pandemic People are doing a more outdoorsy stuff, and that causes damage to the trail system. It causes damage to the shelters. It, ha- you know, brings more food into the woods, which increases bear activity. Every time a bear interacts with a human, the game wardens go shoot it, and they, you know, they're trying to reduce that stuff. But these numbers are like growing. They're, they're up to sixteen hundred plus people have left already this year, that are on the trail. You know, the ones that haven't quit yet, as we speak. Uh, okay. So. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I forget you uh, tracking it. Yeah, so it, it is tracked. They, they try to manage it, and I can foresee a future where um, there will be some permitting required to do the the PCT and the CDT out west. You have to get permits. The only place you need a permit uh, on the AT is when you go through the Smokies. You need a permit to go through the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, and that's the only place that requires a permit on the AT. But I think that'll probably change in the next ten years. Does this, does this take you, uh, I'm curious, does it take you through Chattanooga area? Um, Do you know? It, you go, you basically ride the Tennessee border, um, the eastern border of Tennessee. Yeah, okay. Um, right. North Carolina, whatever. Okay. Yeah, my folks live in the, live in the, in the Chattanooga area, and I, I go hiking over there a lot, uh, just little, you know, couple-hour hikes, and there's like these cool waterfalls and there's a lot of rock climbing mm-hmm. out there you know um that sort of thing out there but it's a beautiful trail and i'm sure i'm sure some of the places that you're gonna see is just gonna be just gorgeous and that's that's part of the the journey that we're talking about here you know what i mean like experiencing the world as it is and getting out of, I always, I like calling it like getting out of like white walls and right angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for you sure. Know? Yeah. Uh, Trey free, the guy that wrote that book that I just plugged pushing North. Um, he calls it the matrix, like your matrix life, you know, your life with your phone and getting your kids and you got to do this and you got to, you know, work and all this crazy stuff that distracts us. There's none of that out there. You know, there's no matrix, like your phone's dead half the time, you know? Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, that is another huge part of my why. Uh, uh, I've been spending a ton of time outside lately and it, it's almost to the point where now, like I can't, I can't tolerate traffic. I can't tolerate crowds. I can't tolerate Walmart. I would much, much rather just to be outside walking in the woods or sitting in the woods or, you know. Um, so that's, that's another huge motivation for me. And that just prompted the thing that left me. I knew before. it would come back. So <laughs> it came back. Uh, the conversation of of solitude, 
Like it's a difference, right, between solitude and then being alone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a huge difference between there. And whereas maybe doing that trail for some people, they think, oh well, you know, even when I first asked you how I framed the question, are you going to be alone? Well, you're alone, meaning that you're physically maybe by yourself. There's other hikers around or whatever, but there's a difference between solitude and then feeling like sure, lonely. Sure. Right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, go. Um, I wanted, so all, you know, ultimately, seventy-five percent of the people that head out uh, to try to through hike this, they don't make it. So. Um, and and most of them are gone within the first, like I said, 100 miles. So there are opportunities for solitude, for real solitude, the further north you get. You know, the further north you get, you're passing people, people are quitting left and right. Um, and, you know, as far as like, I, I know exactly what you mean, like without a, without a, a friend or a family member, that it, basically the, everyone that you're with are strangers, right? That's what you're getting at. Like you don't have your your friend, your buddy, your next door neighbor there, your wife, your whatever, your kids. Um, what does typically happen is, you know, you end up hiking at a similar pace with someone and you end up kind of coordinating your town stops with people that you like. If, you know, you, if you're hiking with a guy or a group of guys or girls or whatever that you, that you get along with, well, you know, you coordinate a stop, you go, Hey, let's get a beer, whatever. It's an, it's a very, the AT is, uh, a very very social activity if you want it to be um you know there are people that don't that don't want to do all the town socializing and stuff um but anyway you do end up with what's called a trammel your trail family um and you know you you may you may have a couple of those and members may uh kind of change it may end up looking different um from time to time but you usually do have a group of people that you're with and and those those bonds like typically last forever like especially if there's people finish with you know so i imagine it, but ahead. i was just gonna say if you're there for like solitude you really want solitude you should try the pct first like the at even with all the weekend hikers it's you're being alone can be challenging i was gonna say that because you were just mentioned the what did you say the tram the tra- tram the tram yeah. the trail yeah. family I would imagine, though, like these things that people do, like the PCT and the ACT or the Appalachian AT, um, it attracts a certain type of person or a a certain type of thinking. And already you're going to be around people that maybe that are a little more already your wavelength yeah that's a really nice way of you saying you have to be crazy to do this and you're going to be around a bunch of other crazy people well i don't think it's crazy <laughs> but maybe because i'm the type of guy that would do it yeah. too I you mean, know what i mean yeah i absolutely like um yeah it's similar I, it's i think that average age of a through hiker is like 26 it's something really young because it, it ends up being um like a in between college kind of thing. Like I just graduated college. I don't want to look for a job yet. I got my summer. So it's, it is a little bit young, a little bit younger of a crowd. Now that's not to say that there's, I mean, a guy just did it last year for the like sixth time nimble will nomad. He's like 83 or something. So, you know, it it runs the gamut from there's little, little kids out there all the way up to, you know, 
octogenarians. Um, but yeah, it's it can be a kind of a it can it can be a younger kind of partier, hippier crowd, if you will. But again, you can avoid that stuff if you want to. Is safety been a concern at all for you as far as preparation or anything? Um, so again, this is going to sound uh, woo woo or whatever, but I, I'm I try not to waste any energy on fear you know i'm not it doesn't do me any good like i i could be sit here and be worried about being eaten by a bear every day but the odds of that happening are are really slim and for me to waste a bunch of worry on it is it's out of my control if a bear mauls me in my sleeping bag at night you know it's totally out of my control no sense in sweating it out um but that being said no none of that stuff is on my radar at all um because it's a very, very safe thing to do. I, you, I, you're in much more danger walking down the street in any town in America than you are statistically doing a through hike on a long, on one of the long scenic trails. It's incredibly safe. Um, there are dangers out there. You can get sick, but there are ways to mitigate that too. Like I just spent hours spraying every ounce of my gear down with permethrin which i don't know if you're familiar but it's like that tick repellent and it you know it lasts for depending on how it's applied it can last up to six months but yeah it's like something that you apply to your clothing and if you take all those precautions and you check for ticks and you do all the stuff you're supposed to do instead of getting lazy and just going right in your sleeping bag at night um, then maybe you won't get lyme disease you can you can control the things that you can control you can't control if you get mauled by a black bear to a degree. Um, right. Wildlife, that, you know, most of the large wildlife that can mess you up on the trail, they don't want anything to do with you anyway. The bears, you know, most people bang their trekking poles together and the bears take off. You know, it's they don't want anything to do with you. It's it's the little stupid things. It's Jardia because you got lazy and drank out of a stream without filtering it or norovirus because you're sleeping in a shelter with 10 other people instead of pitching your tent because you're lazy um if you can control the things you can control or if you control the things that you can and take precautions within reason you can prevent some of the dangers you know um kind of a maybe it's not a weird question so i mean besides the hike being you know the experience of the hike being in and of itself the thing right like we we talked you talked before it's not it's not the fact that you're going to reach a finish line it's just the fact of doing it which is actually a perfect a great metaphor for life it it actually is right. that right uh so even though i just said something so profound there uh are is there any other like types of like entertainment like uh, do you, will you listen to music? Uh, do you have a book or like a, like a Kindle or something? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, anything you want to, you know, I, it, all the towns when, you know, hikers typically take what's called zero days. You know, you can't hike every day. You got to let your body recover every once in a while. So we build in these days where you're, you know, usually they're in conjunction with a cool town. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'll be, you know, everyone downloads stuff. Well, let me get some new music. Let me get a new podcast. Let me, uh, whatever yeah so you can do some of that um i i will be doing that there again it is a very social activity or it can be if you want it to be um right in the middle 
uh, one of my target dates. Now, I don't really have any firm target dates to be anywhere because that's foolish. You can't really plan, but there's a huge three or four day long festival right in the middle in Damascus, Virginia called Trail Days. That's a ripping, roaring good time. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to make it to that. Um, but, you know, even if you don't, there's, yeah, it's, it's a very social, it's, it's a social activity. I, what, uh, what did you say? What was your, besides walking the, besides actually doing the hike, what, what's the other, what are the other? Like, yeah, it was like podcasts or music or books. Like, do you have a Kindle or, I mean, I imagine in nighttime, whenever you lay down, you're just going to pass yeah, out. Yeah. I mean, typically you're so tired. You, uh, yeah, pretty much. Cause you, yeah. you, there's stuff you have to do too. When you get home from your, you know, if you did a, had a big day in rough terrain and you're dead ass tired, you still have to set up a tent. You still gotta eat food. You, you know, there's still stuff you gotta do. Um, so yeah, there's most people, they call 8 PM hiker midnight. Like most people are asleep by 8 PM. Yeah, that's me. That's me on a normal basis. Not, not yeah, me too. 9.30 now, and I'm like... I'm done. If no. I'm horizontal at, at any time after 8.30, basically, you just sew it up, man. Like, I'm done. Yeah, I feel like we're that the commercial about turning in your parents, and I, I'm having flashbacks of saying that I would never be that dude. Like, well, I'm not... 9.30? Why would I go to bed at 9.30? Like, oh, I'd go to bed at 8.30 if I yeah. could. 7.30. Like. Or you're like... Or I remember being a kid, and this is me now, we're like... We're over there, like, watching a movie or something as a family, and my dad is, like, sitting on the – and he's just, like, 20 minutes into the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's us now. Yeah. That's just the normal yep. normal progression. Um, that's fine. So is there – I know it's, you, you mentioned all these stops that you're taking, like, along the way. So – you could, I mean, say, I mean, well, I was at, I was talking to Dave about it the other day. So, is there like, uh, can you, can people send you supplies or like a care package or, and then how does that work? Absolutely, you you can, um, and you know there are people with dietary restrictions or people that just want to save money or whatever, and they do. Um, uh, what do they call it? Um, they mail themselves boxes. There's a catchy name for it. Um, but you basically send stuff ahead and a post office will hold anything for 30 days that says, you know, if you sent me something that you, know, you would just write, there's a specific way you got to write it. It's like care of AT through hiker Brian McManus and they'll hold it for 30 days for you. And I can go into whatever post office and pick it up. And there are people that mail themselves stuff like that and have things pre-positioned, whether it's medicines or if they have dietary restrictions or stuff like that. Um, it would be awesome to get stuff like that, but for the AT, it's just not a necessity because every three days you're in town, okay. you're you're able to reply. So you know, again, unless you are have some crazy allergy and you have to mail yourself, and some people do, um, it's just it, yeah, it's not it's not necessary. How what is the best way for people to, I guess follow you or track your journey or is that something that you want people to do or you or yeah, anything definitely um so i'm i know it's sounds funny for me to say i'm in the middle of my plans for that when i leave in a day and a half but um i just don't know how much of my hike i want that to be my priority um absolutely you know i know i've heard i haven't experienced but i've heard that these you know the vlogging and the instagramming is 
growing and the TikToking and having hikers out there with their setting up their phone, walking by it, and then coming back to pick up their phone again. It can it can be a little bit much. So uh, I just don't know how much of that I want to do. Ideally, I would like to have a YouTube. I just um, a YouTube channel. I just don't know that I have the time or the patience to be doing that much video editing. So for now, um, I'm going to post everything to my Instagram page, which is Brian McManus 79. Yeah, that's my Instagram handle. B-R-I-A-N-M-C-M-A-N-U-S 79. Okay, I'll, and, uh, I'll put that in the, um, in the description. So if people wanted to follow, <laughs> they'll be able to see it. Um, I got one I got one last question and I ask it with everybody and it is if you could give any kind of advice to people, life advice or a piece of advice that you give for anything whatsoever, what, you know, what's something you could think of there? I mean, I'm kind of stealing this quote from a family member, but but it is true for me. Like life, life is urgent. We don't, we don't have to, um, there's another quote, it's Buddhist and I'm not even going to pretend to remember who said it, but, um, it goes something like every man has two lives. He has this, he, he lives his first life and then his second life starts when he realizes he only has one. So, you know, I, I just, I see people just like going through the motions, head in the phone, off to work, home to cook. And like, I know that that's the reality of, of people's lives in America, raising families and stuff like that. Not everyone can sell all their shit and go on a 2,200 mile walk through the woods. Um, but everyone has something that they want to do. And we usually put that on the back burner for the matrix, for life, for all the stuff that's happening around us. And I would just challenge you or challenge anyone collect the collective you whatever that thing is that you always wanted to do do it because you only have one life like you're not going to get an opportunity later there is no later the later is now our most valuable currency that we have is our time like money really doesn't to me it doesn't mean anything it's 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 made up it's um and and to me it, money became a, a symbol of my time i had to use my time to earn this money to pay for this stuff that I have collected. Um, and it's, 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 it, to me, it's just such a waste. Like, my, I guess my, my advice is like, take a step back and look at what your real priorities are in life and what will really bring you happiness and do that. Go for that uh, at all costs because you just, I mean, look at the pandemic, look at all the stuff that's been going on in, in the world. Like life is uncertain, life is urgent, live it now yeah that's great that's great advice man uh brian i really appreciate this um i'm gonna be keeping up with you and tracking you and in the end i hope uh when you finish to do a follow-on i would love that for sure yeah we'll, we'll we're gonna make that happen but i'm gonna i'm gonna you know track you and check in with you uh every now and again to, to see how everything's going yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, too, as, like, extra motivation because I don't want to come back on your show and be like, yeah, I, I, I quit in Virginia. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I had yeah. to get off if I got too cold. So, you know, it is a good extra source of motivation for me. So I appreciate that. 
and thanks for having me on. Really fun. Yeah, man. Awesome, man. Take care, dude. All right. Take it easy. All right, man.